very strongly about people finding their purpose and then walking in that purpose. And, and so I, I just want to do my little part here tonight and dovetail on his theme. And uh, so, uh, again, I'm preaching from the topic of positioned for transition. I'll start out with a story. Three rough-looking fellows on a motorcycle pulled up to a highway cafe. Inside, they found only a waitress, the cook, and one truck driver who was a little guy who was off to the side eating his lunch. The motorcyclists were angry because a truck had cut them off several miles back. They decided to take out their revenge on the innocent man. They grabbed his food and threw it across the room and threatened him with bodily harm. The truck driver quietly got up, paid for his food, and walked out. Unhappy that they had not succeeded in provoking this little man into a fist fight, one motorcyclist said to the waitress, he sure wasn't much of a man, was he? The waitress replied, I guess not. Then, looking out the window, she added, I guess he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. We all love those stories of when the little guy overcomes the big guy. And we certainly just got done reading the story of David and Goliath. Um, it's one of those kinds of stories. And um, as I was studying this out, um, I really truly believe that this is a story about process, transition, and promise. And I want you to remember those three words as I work through this. But God has a destiny for each one of your lives. Amen? Okay, make sure you're on board right from the beginning. He has a destiny for each one of your lives. But you must go through a process in order to step into your promise. Whether you like it or not, your life is always changing because you are transitioning from one level to the next. And at each new level of transition, there is a gate. You must pass through that gate to move from one dimension to the next, from one spiritual level to the next. The gates are a test. They're a test because God will test us to see if he can trust us to operate at that next level. And the devil is very aware, very aware, that these gates are gates of transition. He's aware that these gates will lead you to a new spiritual level and a new sense of spiritual maturity. Passing through these gates from one level to the next makes you a threat to the kingdom of darkness. So anytime you face a transition or a gate, I guarantee you, you will face a giant. When you come upon one of those giants, it's an indication that you're getting ready to move to the next level. Giants. A giant is anything that distracts us from our focus on God. A giant is anything that detours us from our service for God. A giant is anything that drains us of our driving passion for God. Giants represent anything 
which is opposed to God. Maybe uh, spiritual growth at times gets stagnated. And the question you have to ask yourself is what kind of giants wait at the gate of your transition? Because I'm telling you, they're there. Giant of fear. Giant of bitterness. Giant of pride. Giant of worry. Giant of jealousy. Giant of doubt. Giant of guilt and shame. All these things will stand at that gate of your transition to the next level. So I'm going to back up and go to our opening scripture here and give you a, a little bit of context. Most of you know this story very, very well and have studied it out. David is a shepherd boy who's a, eight, the eighth son of Jesse. and He has seven older brothers, of which three have enlisted in the Israeli army and are currently entrenched in the Valley of Elah. And this is a very strategic valley. If you look at it on a map, okay, you guys are this way. So the Mediterranean Sea is over here, okay? And the Valley of Elah runs right across east and west to the lower hills of Judea. It's a very deep valley, but it's a very strategic valley because over on the Mediterranean coast is where the Philistines are camped out. That's where their territory is. They would like all of this territory over here, but they need to move troops and they need to move supplies. And so the Valley of Elah makes that very doable, being able to move supplies over to the lower Judean hills. And so this is where these armies have lined up against each other, the Philistines and the Israelites. The Israelites would like to keep the Philistines over on the coast and not have them coming through the Valley of Elah. But the Philistines have a weapon by the name of Goliath. And Goliath is a weapon of mass destruction. Goliath comes from Gath, one of the famous five Philistine stronghold cities known as Patapolis. And the Hebrew text says that he's six cubits and a span tall. That's pretty easy to figure out, right? Wrong. <laughs> a cubit is about 18 inches, and a span is nine inches. That would make Goliath nine foot nine. Now, I was going to bring a chair up here and try to show how tall that was, but I decided not to. It's, it's pretty tall. It's tall. Take my word for it. Now, scholars say that um, men around that time, their average height was five foot seven. So I'm guessing if you put a five foot seven person down here, who's five foot seven? Are you five foot seven? Are you shorter than that? Really? You're not. Okay, he's tall. So much for my illustration. <laughs> nine foot nine against about five foot seven. And it's interesting, I was actually, when I was reading a few things, this is actually, some people go, oh, this is just stories, not nine foot nine, this isn't a real deal, and all that. But 
Josephus and Philo, who were biblical writers um, back around the time of Jesus and a little bit after, they've written that they personally knew men that were nine feet tall and a little bigger. So it's a very real deal. Josephus didn't make things up. You know, he wrote it as he saw him. So it's a very real thing. Goliath wore a very special kind of bronze armor that probably weighed close to 100 pounds. And you add to that a bronze helmet for his noggin. His weapons weren't terribly sophisticated, but they were scary huge. Um, the shaft of his spear was the size of a weaver's beam. Do we know what a weaver's beam is? Oh, we do. Well, I didn't. So um, they say it's anywhere from three to four inches wide, um, and it's a beam, and uh, generally it will um, run probably about eight to ten feet tall, okay, the way Goliath was using it. So he's got this weaver's beam, and um, he also has a spearhead on the top of it that weighs 16 pounds. And then on top of that, actually I should say on the bottom part of that, they would put a counterweight just to kind of for balance. And that weighed about six pounds. Um, so all said and done, his spear probably measured about 12 feet tall. And he's nine foot nine. And then over his back was slung this curved spear or a sword and uh, obviously the outside edge of it was quite sharp. Um, Goliath was larger than life. He was a force to be reckoned with and it's no wonder that the Israelites clung to the stones like geckos. His job, Goliath's job was to lead the Philistines army against Israel and defeat them and take their land. The battle had slaughter written all over it. But Goliath gave an alternative. And this was a very common thing back in those times. What Goliath said is, tell you what, I'm going to come down to the valley. You pick your next, your best guy and have him come down and we'll, we'll duke it out, mano a mano. The reason they did that was instead of having the armies all clash against each other and kill one another, the deal was, and it's in Scripture, Goliath said, we'll fight, okay? Whoever the loser is, the army that belongs to that loser will now serve the winner. So now you don't kill potential slaves, potential servants. You're just knocking down one, and then you just pick up a whole. But, and that's why they did that. And so um, that's exactly what happened. It was a mano to mano, a fight to the death. So here's where we get David. He kind of enters the scene here, a shepherd boy who really doesn't belong in this story at all. Not at all. He's not qualified. He's ill-equipped. He doesn't meet the criteria. He shouldn't apply for the job. He doesn't have the background. But when you have the favor of God on your side... When you have the favor of God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where he's placed you because you will be victorious and God gets the glory. The only reason David is mentioned in this story is because God has marked him for destiny. Jesse sends uh, David to the battlefield to take lunch to his brothers. And 
while making his delivery, he witnesses the taunting of this giant, Goliath. Now listen to this carefully. David's doordash to the battlefield puts him on a collision course with the gate of transition. And here's the spiritual principle. Don't miss the thing that leads to the thing that God has for you. Don't miss the thing that leads to the thing that God has in store for you. Many times some of us want to jump over process right to perfection. We want to go immediately into our destiny without walking up the steps to our destiny. We don't understand that there are things that lead to things. And if you are not faithful to the process, then you alienate yourself from the promise. I had that highlighted, so I'm going to say it again. If you're not faithful to the process, then you alienate yourself from the promise. What that means is, what if David refused to bring the lunch? Imagine that morning if Jesse had got up and prepared the food to be taken to his sons in the battle line, and he called David to handle this chore. And David said, wait a minute. Hold on. You can get somebody else to do that. God has not anointed me to be a gopher. Listen, Dad, don't you recognize the anointing that's on me? Do you understand who I am? But you see, David understood the importance of process. He understood the fact that timing is everything. Zechariah 4 and 10 says, who has despised the day of small things? Jesus said in Luke 16 and 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. If David had not been faithful to deliver lunches, he would never found his purpose. Sometimes in ministry, and I, I learned this from Bishop, you get asked to do things that you're, but it's the thing that leads to the thing that God has in store for you. So he's watching my attitude. He's watching my heart. He's watching how I handle what's being asked. You know, the proverbial, here's the toothbrush, go clean the toilets. He didn't ask me to do that. But again, it's that idea. He's watching the heart. He's watching your attitude. He's watching your spirit. And how you handle it determines whether you move on to the next stage of your purpose. It's the thing that leads to the thing that God has planned for you. Hallelujah. There's times that we work at jobs that we think are beneath our purpose, beneath our destiny, and we're frustrated because we feel like we're in a dead-end position. Or maybe you're at a stage in your life where you just don't feel that you're where you should be. But I want to tell you tonight that you're right where you're supposed to be. It might not be your destination, but it's where you're supposed to be right now. Because it's just a test. It's part of the process. It's preparation for what God's going to do next in your life. 
It may not be the thing that you're ultimately going to do. It may not be the thing that lines up with your prophecy. It may not be the thing that you were trained to do. It may not be the thing that you dreamed about. It may not be the thing that you hoped to do, but God said it is the thing that leads to the thing. David's submission led him from gopher to gladiator. His submission to do what was asked. You have to start where the opportunity is and go where God would have you go. Don't miss the thing that leads to the thing. I think that's the fourth time I said it. I really want to make sure you remember that. <laughs> Understand that the process is preparation. God takes you through the process so that he might prepare you. David was willing to do the menial things that led to the mighty things so that God could manifest his purpose in his life. So here's David in the battle, fraternizing with military men, gladiators, men that have gotten up early every day to train themselves, skilled in hand-to-hand -hand combat, skilled at their craft. These are the best of the best. And yet every day, these well-trained gladiators fell back like dead men when faced with the prospect of dealing with Goliath. No one was willing to take the first step toward the giant, and David is standing there the least of the whole crowd, the least equipped, the least prepared, not endorsed, no credentials, no training, no authorization. But the reason you know you can do something is when you see it differently than other people. They saw Goliath as an impossibility. David saw Goliath as an opportunity. How you perceive the situation has everything to do with how you will handle the situation. If you see it as impossible, it's impossible. I can't do that. That's impossible. But if you see it as an opportunity, it's an opportunity. And David said, I'm not going to look at the problem as a problem. I'm going to look at the problem solver who's going to give me an opportunity to take care of the problem. David was not to be deterred. David didn't have anything going for him but courage. He didn't have a sword. He didn't have a shield. He didn't have any armor. He didn't have anything but courage. That's why the Lord says in Joshua 1 and 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The moment fear grips you, I don't care what you have to fight with, you will never be as victorious as you could be. In fact, if you have the courage, you can drop the sword and leave the shield and remove the armor. The very fact that you have faith for it is a sign that you have permission to do it. The very fact that you have faith to do something is a sign that you have permission to do it. But King Saul had something different to say to David. When the king saw David, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, oh, little boy, I appreciate your patriotism. That's real cute, but you don't understand. You're out of your league. You haven't been trained for this. Go on home. But David's answer to the king is quite profound. He says, well, I know I didn't go to gladiator school, and I haven't been trained by your Ivy League generals, but... I'll tell you what I did do. When I was out in the field, a lion came up to mess with one of my sheep. 
And I grabbed a rock in my sling and I threw it. And I hit that lion and the king of the jungle right in his head, dropped right there. And by the way, he turned the lamb loose. And then a big old bear came. And I did the same thing to the big old bear. And I hit him. What is God trying to teach us here? God will take everything in your... Oh. God will take everything in your past and use it for your future. God will take everything in your past and use it for your future. Don't discount it. God is leading you along in the process, and he's preparing you. But you're going to go through some things. But he's going to use those things to move you to the next level of transition. If you're looking for glimpses of where you're going, the clues may be where you've been. Because God is going to take something from where you've been and use it to help you to where you're going. God knows exactly where he wants to take you. He's not making this up as he goes. He knew before you were formed in your mother's womb. He ordered your steps. Everything you got and everything you didn't get is preparing you for what God is about to do in your life. Not one of your tears is wasted. Not one of your struggles is wasted. Not one of your experiences is wasted. It will all become the fuel that propels you into your destiny. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purposes. You ought to go back and kiss the lion and kiss the bear and say, if I hadn't made it through you, I wouldn't be prepared to handle this, right? God uses your past to set you up for your future. In verse 40, David stands at the gate of transition. It's a gate because no matter how sincere David is, no matter how anointed or how gifted he is, he cannot begin to enter into his destiny until he deals with Goliath. Goliath is the gate of transition for him. From a shepherd boy to positioning him to be a king. The transition that takes you into the next dimension of your life will always have a Goliath in front of it. It will always happen. The enemy will never leave a gate unguarded. And the minute you're ready to step into that next level of your spiritual walk, that next level of purpose, he will always put a Goliath at the gate. And you may ask, I don't know where the gate is. If you happen to run into a Goliath in your journey, that's where the gate is. The bigger the giant, the bigger the gate. If you run from the giant, you run from the gate. You can't step into the promise until you step through the problem. You can't step into your promise until you step through the process. Doesn't mean it's easy. You need to kill that thing at the gate. It's standing in between you and the next move of God. It's standing between you and your promise. It's standing between you and your destiny. So how do we slay a giant? So kind of gravitate into the teaching part here. 
First, you understand that this is a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. You may be in a job that you're constantly, I'll come down here, that you're constantly going back and forth with somebody for a promotion. It's just constant. No, you can't do it. No, you're not qualified. And they're just coming at you all the time. Always remember, it's not the person. It's the spirit behind the person. Because God is setting you up for promotion. But there's going to be Goliaths. There's going to be giants. There's going to be people. But remember, we don't argue with people. We don't. It's the spirit behind. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you get that? Does that make sense? We get crazy fighting people. We, we, we're apostolic. We're, this is a spiritual war. These are spiritual battles, and we have to use spiritual weapons. Mm. The first thing you need to do to slay your giant is you need to plug into the power source. 1 Samuel 17, 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. God delivered David from the lion and the bear. God was the source of David's power. Plugging into the source changes you. David was plugged in. Why? Because 1 Samuel 16 and 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Ramah. Then 1 Samuel 18 and 14 says, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. We have access to that same power in Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the othermost parts of the earth. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, so good. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, that your faith should stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power source is right there. Right? It's right there. It's right within us. We are prepared for giants. Amen? It's interesting that in 1 Samuel 17 and 40, it says that David picked up five smooth stones out of the brook in the valley and put them in the shepherd's bag. That word brook is nashal in Hebrew, and it is used to describe a stream or a river or a flood. And I couple that with what Jesus said in John 7, 38 and 39, He that believeth on me... As the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. The Old Testament type and shadow of the Holy Ghost was water or a stream, right? A water source or a river. So here we are right in the valley, right in the face of transition and confrontation, and the power source is right there. And when you confront your giant at the door of transition, rest assured 
The source of power is within you. You just have to plug into it. And David picked up five smooth stones. As a matter of fact, they were picked up right out of the source of power, the river. Mm. So let me give you the five, and then I'm going to wrap up. The first stone that he picked up, and lots of preachers have done this all the way around, so mine's not you, terribly unique. The first stone is the stone of the Word of God. The Word of God directly attacks deception. Galatians 1 and 7. It says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then Titus 3 and 13 says, bring Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting of them. There was great deception taking place, but Paul always hammered home the word of God. He always brought the word of God. That's what fights deception. How did Jesus respond to Satan? After his 40-day fast, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. The Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp that guides. It's a bread that nourishes. It's a life-giving force. It's a sword that fights and divides. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of the marrow and into the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. Put that in your bag of weapons when you're going up against Goliath. The second stone is the stone of the name. That stone attacks the very seat and the very authority of, de of the devil. The name of Jesus is so powerful because it encompasses the names of God. When you use the name of Jesus, you're speaking about Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rapha, my healer, Jehovah Nisi, my protector, Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Demons tremble. Come on now. Demons tremble at the name of Jesus. You pick up that stone, you've got some serious power. You just start speaking the name into your situation. And when you speak that name of Jesus, you will have mountain-moving, miracle-working, devil-defeating, disease-dissolving, sin-remitting power to fight your battle. Amen? The third stone is the stone of the blood. This stone attacks sin and condemnation. When Bishop preached about the blood, powerful message. Satan is a, an accuser. He loves to condemn you. He loves to come in and just beat you up. But when he comes accusing, you need to let him know that all that stuff you're accusing me of, that I did, it's under the blood. It's under the blood. It's been washed away. It's been forgotten as far as the east is to the west. It is under the blood. Romans 8 and 1. Love this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In Psalm 103 and 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That is an amazing verse of Scripture. As far as the east is to the west. And God has no limit, so that's pretty far. 
They're wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. Mm. The fourth stone is the stone of praise. There's power and deliverance and victory in praising God. I don't think we use this weapon enough. A lot of times we use it after the battle's been won, but why not use it during the battle? There's nothing more powerful than praise when the enemy is attacking. I will bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 149. I don't know if Mike read this this morning. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let, you know what? I'm not going to say this all myself. Let's all read this together. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. Verse 9, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Amen. I, I, I think of, and I know Sister Bridget mentioned her testimony two, three weeks ago, and uh, I didn't get to give my side of the story, but, <laughs> but um, it, it was really, it was amazing. Like, I'm, I'm a light sleeper, and then I hear this, woo, woo, and I could see her grabbing her leg. Did you all hear this testimony? She did tell you that. And she's grabbing, and, and she's, she's literally, and all of a sudden, she just starts singing this song to God. I mean, just starts praising him. In the midst of the battle, she starts praising him, and next thing you know, she's sleeping like a baby. <laughs> you know? We don't want to wait till the battle's done. We want to praise him during the battle. Amen. All right. Stone number five. The stone of prayer. Prayer is what aligns our flesh with God's purpose so that his will may be done. Prayer is what keeps us focused. It allows us to walk in the spirit. It keeps our old man crucified. Paul said, I died daily. How? Through prayer. It's through prayer that our spiritual perception begins to operate and we see the workings of the enemy and are unable to align our heart with God's will. So we plug into the source, we grab the five stones, and we just got one more thing to do. We need to cut the head off the giant. 1 Samuel 17, 51, Therefore David ran and stood up upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. We need to cut off some bad habits. We need to cut off some bad relationships. We need to cut off some addictions. Cut off dishonesty. Cut off evil communications. Cut off the head of the giant and step through the gate of transition into the next dimension of your walk. Why don't you stand?
regardless of where you are right now, what you may see, how you feel, the truth is your greatest days are still ahead of you. They're still ahead of you. You're not a finished product. You're a miracle in the making. You've not reached your potential. The work that God began in you, he will finish. What God started in you, he will complete. You don't belong to the devil. You belong to God. Satan doesn't control your destiny, and hell doesn't have the power to stop you or keep you down. Just as the devil couldn't keep Jesus in the grave, neither can he keep you, right, in a trial. But we all will face giants at our gates of transition. And you may experience setbacks, and that's okay. A setback doesn't mean it's over. A setback is positioning you for a comeback. A door shut means a door is about to open. An ending only means that there's getting ready to be a new beginning. The road to destiny consists of endings and beginnings, setbacks and comebacks. We're all in transition and we're all standing at the gate of our next chapter. God is for you. Always remember that. God is for you. Cut off the giant's head. Walk through the door of transition and step into your destiny. Folks, I hope you're excited as a church family. Because I'll tell you what, our future looks bright. I don't know what's going on out there, but the future of God's church looks bright. Thank you, Jesus. So I hope you were encouraged tonight. I do want to open this altar because you know what? I know there's people that are dealing with things, and I know there's people that are dealing with trials and problems and whatnot. And it's also a great opportunity to come in and talk to the one that knows your destiny, knows your purpose, and knows how to get you from A to B. But we got to be willing to listen. And we got to be willing to do the thing, the thing that leads to the thing. All right. Hallelujah. So I'm going to open this altar up. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you again for your word, God. God, we understand and we realize that we're all in transition. God, we realize that you put all the pieces in place for us to move and gravitate. And God, we also understand that there will be Goliaths. There will be giants at the gates of transition. But you're not done with us yet, Lord God. We are not a finished product. The book is not over yet. We're just looking forward to the next chapter. But God, I would ask that you would strengthen us. God, that you would increase our faith. God, that we would know to utilize the stones that you have given us to fight our battles. God, that we would plug into you. God, when we face our Goliaths. God, that you would open up the door of opportunity. But in the meantime, before that happens, God, that you would give us the patience to walk in the thing that leads to the thing. So God bless each person here within the sound of my voice this morning. God bless them on their way out. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you, Jesus. We thank you, God. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.